and very buttoned up. A quick way, fine, easy, out. I was having nightmares towards the end. 10 grams went to 50 and that went to 100. 100 went to 500 and then it started being kilos. MDMA, ketamine, acid, and mushrooms, and CCB. These are amazing people that have been told that they can't do certain things. Then I went into university. Yes, there's a clown university. <laughs> yeah, they're one red nose short of a good show, aren't they? <laughs> you can still be a shiny, sparkly person and not have a disorder. <laughs> Just because you're short doesn't mean you have dwarfism. Hi folks, on today's podcast I'm joined by Maria Stavrou, a dancer, uh, a circus performer and a life coach. Um, is that pretty much everything? It is, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How do those things fit together for you? Oh, very differently. Um, certainly being a circus performer and also a life coach or a therapist, um, it's so polarizing especially when it comes to marketing online one is this sexy circus life and the other is this you know let's help each other let's look at mental health and and very buttoned up side so they're they're a little bit clashing it's very difficult to market under one platform so I've spread it across two but mm -hmm. um they're incredibly different lifestyles that I've encompassed under one roof for sure yeah, I've noticed that with your uh, with your Instagram, we kind of go from one thing to another, and it's uh, it's mm. trying to work out what what your brand is. Um, but mm. you kind of started out with the with the circus work. Yes, I did. Yeah, so okay. crikey, um, sixteen years ago with the circus, uh, well, with the dancing, and then really? yeah, thirteen years ago with the circus. Really. Mm -hmm. okay and what made you it's kind of a bit of a trope isn't it R run away to the circus <laughs> such a trope I, I started as a dancer and even though the the work to be a dancer is incredible you know like it's it's a hard slog it's very physically taxing to be a dancer uh, there's a lot of choreography and strictness within your movement movement it's still not financially rewarded um, to the degree of how much effort and practice is put into becoming one. Um, so what I saw in the industry I was in is that circus reaped bigger financial rewards. There was more scope for travel. There was more scope for performance at different levels um, within the industry. So I thought, can I, can I get involved with this? Okay, let's see if I can do it and I started with an agency and then I went into university yes there's a clown university <laughs> and I went into uni to go and learn how to to do a plethora of different circus performances and I haven't looked back since I, I loved it and I've loved it ever since it's such a passion fantastic I feel like uh, I feel like a, there's a lot of people that went to uh, to clown university. I think we've got a we've got a parliament full of them uh, for, oh. for starters. <laughs> yeah, they're one red nose short of a good show, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, before that, let's ju let's just go back to the beginnings. Uh, before that, you had some issues with the law. Okay. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so as I, I said a second ago, it, it wasn't really financially beneficial being a dancer. Mm. Uh, there wasn't really many great um, returns on that investment. Um, and at that point in my life, I was about 18, trying to make my way, performing, not really earning enough, um, struggling, going from jobs that I didn't really like. And the the crowd that I found myself in, 
it was normal for everyone to to get uh high on a weekend and party really hard with a variety of different drugs and you know um do, do you remember methadrone mcat i've heard of it uh, oh it's 2009 is when that sort of like 2008 2009 is when that right, boom yeah. came along and um suffice it to say you know someone along the line said you know this stuff's legal if you buy it it's a legal high you can sell it on you can earn a bit more money da, 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 da. um and I, you know i take ownership for it because it was me that was like yeah yeah uh, let's go for it i can see that's got a little bit more of a return than what i'm doing at the moment and can probably pay my rent um so i bought the first time that I bought online was like 10 grams, mm-hmm. nothing, um, comparatively. Um, and, you know, that everything that I bought, the, the whole 10 grams just went. One weekend was nothing. And I was buying it for about three pounds on the gram and you could sell it for about 10 to 30. Right. So mm-hmm. just ridiculous. So then um, I saw how quickly that went. And it, it, it it's one of those moments where you turn around and before you know it, you're you're in really deep. Uh, that ten grams went to fifty, and that went to a hundred. That hundred went to five hundred, and then it started being kilos. And it before I knew it, I was selling not only that, but I was selling MDMA, and I was selling ketamine, and acid, and mushrooms, and TCB. Everything that you would find at a psychedelic festival, that's what had landed in my world as something to sell. And Ted, when I say to you, I wanted out, I was having nightmares towards the end, you know, like dreams consistently about getting caught, about not being able to get out, about being chased. Um, One was quite substantial where I had um, a really vivid dream and it was like two weeks before I actually did get caught and it was really vivid dream and it was about getting caught by the police and then um, finally uh, getting taken to court and then getting bailed out by my ex-partner and but eventually ending up in prison mm-hmm. um, I went and I spoke to one of my friends about this and she was like Maria, I just being paranoid. You just worry. Don't worry. Keep at it. I di- I didn't want to keep at it. I wanted out. I wanted a way out. And and weirdly, it was two weeks after that that at my door, everything happened as in that order. I got caught, taken to court. Um, my bail was paid for by my ex. But subsequently, a few months later, regardless of that, I, I went to prison. And quite rightfully so. I was guilty of sin and I held my hands up from the start. I was like, yep, it was me. Thank God. <laughs> I'm was, so grateful. <laughs> was, was this with, was this with um, a, a group of people or was this your, your, own, your own doing? Was this your own enterprise? It was one of these moments where people were seeing how much was being made and they wanted to get involved, but I also knew it's fucking dangerous. I did I didn't want to be like, yeah, guys, come on in and get involved when even I was struggling to mm. want to be involved in the first place. But it was the only thing at that point that was paying my rent. Um, you know, I I dropped out of school, so I didn't have GCSEs and I was struggling to keep a job as well because I was going from job to job but wasn't doing amazingly I was doing great in the job but I just lost interest in them and and I've since found out that's quite a typical ADHD thing going from job to job to job (laughs) but I was undiagnosed and unregulated and out in the world on my own so I was just like no I don't want to do these things there's this easy route that I'm gonna take um even though I didn't want it you know ultimately I knew better but I couldn't action better that was the difference when you say you know it was dangerous um you know there's yeah. the danger of getting caught 
Uh, were there any other dangers involved? Absolutely. You know, there was the fact that number number one, like health dangers. Um, I was very, very, very thin. Um, I was underfed a lot just because, you know, there was all these products that I had that meant that you didn't want to eat and I'd, you know, stay up for days on end. There was one point that um, I can recall being awake for six days with a four hour sleep in between. Um, and in that time period, you know, I, I was hallucinating through lack of sleep. And um, it's just when you're just not looking after yourself very well, it's affecting your mental health, it's affecting your food. Um, there was other risks as well, you know, people coming around to your house and finding your staff getting raided. Mm -hmm. um, there was only ever one occasion of that because as bad as things were, as, as, as terrible of a situation as it was, I was really lucky that the people that were around me, as much as they weren't actively trying to stop what I was doing um, as much, um, they were still like, here, have some food, make sure you go to bed. They were trying their best to, to, to make the best out of it. Because, um, yeah, I think um, towards the end of it, everyone could sort of see, actually, this is really messing with me. And I did have people that did care. Not not to the degree of like, right, you, let's get you out of here. But care to the degree of she's going to do it. Let's make sure she's fed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so the intervention came from the police, really. Yeah. And How, how did and... that How did that? happened did was it a knock at the door knock at the door I wasn't Literally. in yeah right. they uh they came to the door I wasn't home at the time I was on my way to a photo shoot and in um why that's important is because it was a head-to-toe body painted shoot so I didn't have any makeup didn't have any hair made and so my mugshot I really do look as bad as it could look <laughs> <laughs> the hair was everywhere the face was like tired <laughs> um but yeah I mean they, they came and they banged on the door my housemate was in and I was um I don't know if you know Bristol at all not too well not too well so there's this area it's called the bear pit it's kind of like this underpass which takes you from one key location to another I was in the middle of this underpass and I take the phone call as uh, an unknown number and it's somebody shouting down the phone, we're in your house, come back here now, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, what is going on? And uh, it would have been a few weeks prior that my friend had said people were going dressed as police officers to known drug dealers' houses, raiding their stuff, oh. leaving, there's nothing you can do. Who are you going to call? The police? No, you cannot. So, so you know, I thought for a second there, oh, my God, this thing has finally happened to me. There's people pretending to be police officers. They're in my house because me being naive as I was, and I still have a little bit of a pink rose-tinted effect on the world to even today, but I thought, oh, my gosh, the police would never shout like that. <laughs> it's got to be gagged. <laughs> so they're shouting down the phone come back to the house we're in your house da, da, da. um because I thought it might have been a gang I hung up straight away I got on the phone to one of my closest friends and I rang him up and I was like there might be a gang in my house uh, I'm petrified I need you here I need help because I'm gonna go back now and if they, if it is I need your help and so I start walking back up towards the house and I start, you know, making peace with the reality of this. And there was so much of my body and my mind just going, thank fuck. Thank fuck. I can, I can breathe. Okay. I, I can take a rest. Oh my gosh. Um, and it was just coming to peace with the fact that it was over. 
over the the rat race that I was in the fact that you know week in and week out I had to sell a certain amount in order to pay back this person in order to keep up with the next week's stuff and to make sure everyone else is happy and to deliver on the weekends to make sure that everyone else is all right and having their party and everything and it was just like it was so and I was 20 it was so much in my head that I just it was like oh thank gosh Oh, I can get out. So I'm walking back home and I'm walking up to Stokescroft, which is the area that I used to live in Bristol. And as I'm walking up and through, there's an area where I can turn the corner and it looks into my house. You can see the door, you can see the thing. And as I turn this corner, I think it was like three riot vans, a number of police cars. They were lined across the street. Yeah. It it became increasingly obvious. <laughs> increasingly obvious it. that if it was a gang <laughs> pretending to be police, then they've really committed to it, haven't they? Really committed to it. It was <laughs> unavoidably obvious at that point. And I was like, as I'm turning around and I'm seeing all these things, and I'm like, okay, it's yeah. definitely what it is. I'm seeing my friend walking down the road from up there, and I'm like looking at him like, nope run just run just get out of here just go and get back into the house um and as I'm walking up the stairs it's just kind of like just make sure you do the right thing and the right thing for me was making sure that my housemate wasn't uh you know impacted in any way he wasn't sort of lumped in with me he wasn't seen as somebody that was involved in any such way so they read you your rights and they say have you got anything you want to say and I was just like He's not involved. He is not involved. This was me. This was all me. From the get-go, just pleaded guilty because I was like, this is what I needed. <laughs> I saw it as something that I needed, not something that I was trying to avoid in any way. Hmm. So I think that was kind of the main key difference, which really stopped me from ever going back to that world, is that I, ne- I never wanted to stay in it as much as it can grab you and I know I painfully know how stuck people can feel if they're in that world because you know you owe a certain amount of people people are, are counting on you for other things and um, there's a certain financial benefit to being in it and there's excitement to being in it so it can be addictive just the process of it financially and you know dopamine excitement you know mm. and I get that nothing is worth it in the end you never feel like a complete person which I I never wanted to be like that I wanted to be proud of what I was doing Mm. and I couldn't be proud of that Mm. a lot of people probably um experience something very uh similar uh with that where people get you know without you know through no fault of their own find themselves getting into just ordinary debt um, that sometimes if that gets out of hand, they perhaps don't have anybody to turn to and they get deeper and deeper into it and everything just becomes so much more difficult and it needs, um, I I hesitate to say a, 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 a rock bottom, but sometimes it does take a rock bottom for people to be, be able to pick themselves up and, and kind of, almost count their blessings or or perhaps see that actually um what's most important here not dead <laughs> the thing absolutely terrible is going to happen um mm. and now it's out in the open um like i say it could be something like that with the with the police involved um but it could be something like a, a simple case of debt or addiction or something that could be um once outed to their family and friends they find that they actually get support yeah I I can't tell you how important it was having the network I had I I most likely wouldn't be here for sure um and and this is the thing they always say like prison really shows you who your friends are I never went a day without a letter and when I came out the other side you know like I said to you, the, the bad position that I was in, everyone was still trying to look after me. So the 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 people that I had around me, 
I can't and thank them so much because even though you know it was a shit situation I was in and it was whilst they were around me it wasn't because of them it's because of my own actions and when I came out the other end you know I was lucky to have a place to go and stay have a place to just settle and and be okay for a few months and and to recalibrate myself and, and to get myself sorted um and I think we spoke about this off air but one of the things that was really important to me was just making a list and when I got put into jail that night that I was taken away the first thing that I did is I was like can I take a pen and a paper and I've got this home learning course in counseling I want to bring in can I bring that in as well and they were like yeah sure you're gonna be there for a while so (laughs) no worries Mm -hmm. um so so the first thing I did when I got in there is I just wrote this list and I was like right what what do I really want? What take away the drug dealing? What do I actually want to do? I, 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 I was only dealing because I couldn't earn enough through working with dancing, and that's what I wanted to do. And I wasn't earning enough with dancing, and I wanted to go into circus. So I was like, all right, so let's do this properly. So I wrote down on my list: go to a circus university, um, start up an agency, travel the world. One of the one of the things I wrote down as well was work, work at Glastonbury, which I did, which I was really happy about. Um, and also, you know, not only that, but work in psychology as well, you know, start working in mental health. But I put that down as something a 30 year old plus thing. So I was like, right down in your 20s, do circus, do performing, travel the world, have fun in your 20s, in your 30s, go into mental health, start helping people out, work forward from there from that point onward. And and to this day, Ted, I have stuck to that list. It's been my sort of North Star throughout a lot of changing incons- like inconsistencies in my own personal life. But my professional life has had its goals, for sure. I don't imagine there's many people in, you know, who uh, end up in the cells and that's the list that they write. But so what kind of sentence did you end up with? Did you... Did you walk away with a, a community sentence or, no. or you went away? It went away. It was a 23-man sentence. Right. Yeah. That's... So it's half of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Yeah. It was a long time, but um, I was grateful. And and I think that's what got me through it, is I was grateful because um, before getting into drug dealing um I'd, I'd recently gotten out of foster care and I just I didn't have the support that other people had had of like I can go back home go to mum or dad or something like that it was very much do or die you know you need to make it you need to scrabble for this life and that's kind of what life has shown me from a even younger age than that you know is you need to fight to survive and to be honest with you actually going to prison and this might sound a bit sad um but it's true it felt like a break to be fair Mm -hmm. and it it just I felt grateful for the break so nearly 12 months to recalibrate put together a plan and go uh, to go from there really hit the ground running Um, and the first thing that one of the first things that I did was um go to the Prince's Trust and learn how to build a business because I had no idea <laughs> but I knew I wanted it and I was like right what are the things that I can do um and what are the things to my disposal at that especially at that age bracket you know you've got a lot more things that people want to help you out with as well um because there's like um youth schemes and certificates that you can be involved with certainly the princess trust was one of them and it teaches you how to build a business from scratch so I went in and did a course with them and then I knew I wanted to have an agency in circus but I didn't understand the industry well enough so I went to that circus university so I could know how long can I book an aerialist out for you know how uh, how how hard is it to create a cabaret show how many different acts do I need in order to create a full 360 peripheral like what do I need in order to be able to do all these things as an agent because I knew I didn't just want to perform 
I want to I want to run the show as well. <laughs> That's what I want to do, which is I'm I'm still doing now. I'm a creative director for a number of different shows across London, and I love it. It's one of the best part of my job is getting to create all day. But um, for me, I think it was so important just to have that driving force. No, know exactly. Okay, well, I know I need to do this in my twenties and this in my thirties, and have that specific goal so that if I did feel lost or if I did feel like anyway inclined to go back to that world I, I would have that to fall back on no this isn't part of your goal you're doing this now this is it mm -hmm. mm. so circus skills mm -hmm. um my my little boy would be very disappointed if I didn't ask you about this because he's a bit fascinated with the the concept of fire eating how how does that work how does it work well it's magic you can let him know <laughs> um it's extinguishing and deoxygenating a flame so just the same as if you put a cup over a candle that's exactly it you close your mouth over the flame and that's doesn't it doesn't it burn you? Doesn't it? Is it uncomfortable? Um, it can if you're a show off and you keep it in your mouth too long, which okay. I have definitely been known to do because I like to elongate and prolong the shock factor of, of fire eating because I think it's spectacular. If you do it and you do it with theater, you can do it really well. So, um, but yes, I mean, if you're doing it in a quick way, fine easy out it's it's not going to be a lit flame for very long you've got saliva around your mouth and it'll go out pretty quickly and easily okay but maybe not with your beard ted i'm sorry no that, that would not be good <laughs> <laughs> not for you dear. no no okay good uh good spot though yeah no i didn't think i'll try that um so how many how many burns and injuries related to uh to um fire sticks and fire breathing have you uh have you managed to sustain um nothing permanent uh singed hair um <laughs> that's for sure um i've singed the hair on my arms because i do body burning as well and singed the air on my legs but um but yeah other than that there's nothing permanent there's a couple of scratches here and there but nothing worse than a rock climber would have that's for sure <laughs> Um, so tell me, uh, how did you, how did you go from, um, the circus skills into the counseling? Cause I understand, I mean, that's, that's very different. Now you, you, you know, you've enlisted some help, um, including things like the Prince's Trust to learn how to build a business and you're doing that and you're, you're doing your performance work, uh, you're doing your agency work um and then you've moved a little bit later on into counseling um how did you manage to do that and what what was the motivation for that so how i managed to do that is um learning learning through lockdown some nlp skills was the first thing that i did outside of the things that i learned when i was in my early 20s um which was sort of counseling skills and so on um, I went from learning NLP to then <laughs> I like scientific studies and, and real, real results. Right. And I was looking online and I was feeling a bit crestfallen because NLP doesn't really yield good online rhetoric. Right. So if you Google it, neurolinguistic programming it is seen as a bit of a pseudo science. So I didn't really feel like it had a great deal of respect within the mental health industry. And I really wanted to move into working in a, a really great professional capacity like in the NHS or or you know um really making waves anyway not just doing something which is surface level if I can say that with the greatest respect because people do see results from NLP but it's not a broad um broadly researched with evidence field right whereas cognitive behavioral therapy is and so I went from NLP into CBT. So I've I've learned with the Association of Psychologies to do CBT, 
And I'm at the other end of that now. So I've been using CBT in my coaching practices or my therapy practices. Um, and how I, I found people doing it and doing it well. And I became friends with them and I worked with them. So there's two gentlemen that I need to give absolute love to, which is Connor and James from the ADHD Adults UK podcast. Those guys um, helped me out massively. Um, so it's Alex, Connor and James Brown. And basically those boys, they, they helped me out by taking me under their wing, showing me the ropes. I ended up being a, a speaker on ADHD in multiple podcasts because of their help and their guidance, as well as my own practices as well. Um, and it, it happened so quickly. It was within a matter of a couple of years before, you know, I was working closely with with the boys on different things. And I started to write courses on ADHD. And I was then teaching in schools for teachers to learn how to manage pupils with ADHD as well. And it just kind of like escalated quite a lot. And I loved it. I, I wanted to work in mental health because the reason being is um, my sister's got paranoid schizophrenia, um, quite severe. And she's been in psychiatric wards for 20 years. And when I was little, Ted, um, I used to think that I would have a magic word or a magic sentence that would, that would help my sister. And I just, oh my gosh, especially in my teenage years. Oh my God. I, I used to like read these self-help books. Oh my, uh, like all of these, like read the secret or like all of these, like, like follow the words and, and or like what feel the fear and do it anyway. Or, or all of these kind of books, do you know what I mean? And it's fantastic for waffling, right? It is not but fantastic for people with deep psychological issues. It's, definitely not for that but I used to think when I was younger oh my gosh all she needs to do is um have gratitude every day and uh you know maybe she can write down things that she's got affirmations for and, and it will help her I really used to feel like that was the way but yes that can help with certain things but not everything and yes it can help with certain things but not deep psychosis you no. can't pray that stuff away. You can't affirm that stuff away, uh, unfortunately. But I, I, uh, I just wanted to find out what what it was that would help. And I thought, okay, right, I'm going to get into the industry so I can work out how to reverse engineer it. And and now, as of recently, um, my goal has sort of shifted a little bit because you know, when I was that age and I was making that goal and I wanted to work in mental health to help her, it's been as such that now I've witnessed her being institutionalized by being in psychiatric wards for so long, she didn't know how to get out. So now I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I help people that are maybe just put in there and, and forgotten? Because I, I met so many ladies going in and visiting my sister that you know their family wouldn't visit or they were being mistreated and no one was standing up for them and mm -hmm. it's quite heartbreaking and I'm saying this out loud and I'm trying my best not to cry but it's heartbreaking to see people be treated like that inside of hospitals um one of the things that I witnessed there's a whole plethora like there's a big list um one of the things that I witnessed was a, a nurse shouting all you have to do is smile more, what's wrong with you, to somebody that is, you know, visibly very unwell. Um, and, you know, if that's something that I'm seeing and they knew I was there, they'd see me. Um, what are they doing when we're not there? Um, it's just one. I'm not going to say they're most yeah. horrific stuff I, I saw, but, like, that was just one. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's something that I really want to achieve. I... I I don't have a prince's trust for this, though. So, I mean, if anybody has any ideas on how I can take on the NHS from the inside out, please let me know, because I am a little bit at a loss and I, I'd love some help with it. Um, but I know that that's something that I really want to get done, for sure. It, it certainly beggars belief when, when um, every now and again you'll find a... Um, an undercover 
um, documentary um, on NHS wards, um, yeah. be they um, geriatric or um, uh, be they um, on the mental hospital wards, and the 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 treatment is just absolutely appalling. Um, the sad thing is there are so many people who put in um countless hours and i imagine it's a very thankless task um not not to take anything from away from those those professionals um my god no no yeah uh, i mean ted and and just to echo that in a really big way there's a lot of people that i saw in there that really did work hard mm. i do i really need to say that at this point because i've given a lot of flack and i need to sort of also give a lot of praise to those who who weren't that way and they were giving up their time for fuck all money let's be completely frank about it like they're not earning a lot for the things they have to deal with day in and day out and so it's unbelievable it's unbelievable that those that are working at the absolute core for for helping others are the ones that are not very financially rewarded which seems Mm. such a ask backwards society if i'm honest <laughs> well if it wasn't that way then people would be doing it for the wrong reasons they'd be doing it for the money so you can't you can't really win but um professions mm-hmm. like a, a comparable thing would be um the police you you need people who aren't necessarily earning absolute fortunes but they are uh they are acting as though you know they should be beyond reproach um and and that's the same in in lots of places but um i imagine it's an incredibly stressful uh job and it can be probably incredibly stressful dealing with uh challenging behavior um and being hit and kicked um and yeah, yeah it's 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 incredibly difficult but very very sad when you're dealing with um tortured souls on a on a daily basis well that's it so one of the things that I did to try and heal my own soul from not being able to help my sister directly is I went in to do volunteer work at St Pancreas Psychiatric Ward as an advocate so I, I went in um, to do my uh, you do your training before you go in and oh my gosh the the training's rigorous but it had to be because on the ground is also unforgiving um but part of the training was learning how to deal with a complete psychotic break what you do how to deal with it being spit at punched at this that and the the person that was reenacting it did not hold back at all and luckily that we did have those moments though I hadn't experienced it but some of the other volunteers had where somebody did go through a complete psychotic break was acting in that way and thank god we did have that moment in training where this is it at its worst what do you do um and it's being able to handle that and knowing that it could happen at any minute that you're there it's scary but it's also one of these things that that's the job of volunteers which is also terrifying (laughs) you know we had to go in and volunteer our time which I think actually to a certain degree it means that you're really focused on actually doing it yeah. Because, like you said, if it's financially for financial gain, then it's for a different motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, there's a certain get out, isn't there? I suppose if you're a volunteer, mm. you don't need to be there the next day. So mm. every day, you you can you can feel to yourself, okay, it's this is not my this is not my life. If this isn't if mm. this doesn't if this goes really badly, it's not my life forever. Um, as opposed to being your your livelihood and what you what you rely on. Um, but thank goodness for volunteers, eh? Yeah, thank thank everyone that's a volunteer, yes. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you talked a lot about ADHD. Um but let's talk about that in terms of what it is and how it affects people sure okay so what it is neurological disorder um it's not a learning disorder and it's not something that can be um you know 
punched out of you or disciplined out of you or none of that. It's just because it might look like bad behavior doesn't mean that you can discipline it out of the person because it's neurological. Um, what is it and how it comes about? It has through the genes. Typically, the only way that it would be trauma related is incredibly slim statistics on that one. It's almost nigh on impossible. I think one of the one of the doctors that I spoke to likened it to being in a Romanian death camp. That level of trauma may bring on ADHD. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> His one's not mine. <laughs> and and he was just bringing about the severity. He was like, look, you know, the likelihood of this being trauma related because there's um there's a chap online talking quite loudly about it being a trauma thing. This guy called G- G- Gabor Mate or Gabor Mate. Um, but he's talking really loudly about the fact that it's trauma related, which is bringing about misinformation within mm. the community of people with neurodivergence, which is a little bit scary because if you don't know better, then you'll be like, ah, oh, right, it's because of that. But it's unlikely. It's more normally hereditary. Um, but yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about ADHD, the symptoms, the traits and everything, um, mainly through my own journey of, of getting diagnosed. And then I was like, huh. I want to help other people with this stuff too, because I was been able to help myself. Uh, <laughs> so I started working with people with ADHD and I've still got clients now that I work with, mainly professionals that just want to symptom manage. And I absolutely love it because number one, like these are amazing people that have been told that they can't do certain things, but they can, just got to do it in a different way. And, you, and getting to unlock that in someone is spectacular. Getting to go, hey, did you did you try this? Don't try this like set in stone, normal, typical way. Let's go over here and let's try this other atypical way and see how you get on. And getting to see people thrive in this area and getting to achieve what they want to achieve and actually set out goals and finish them. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, it's lovely. And um, if anybody is listening and you have got ADHD, um check out um I wonder if I can link this um there's something called the Hallowell and Ratey diagnostic criteria Hallowell and Ratey diagnostic criteria and to read that is more of a relief for the majority of my clients than to read anything about ADHD anywhere else it's an ADHD diagnostic criteria by people with ADHD for people with ADHD on the real symptoms and traits that they experience. Um, and it's a real case of list. Number one of that is feeling like you mm. you haven't achieved enough, no matter how much you have achieved. And that's one of the things that I hear a lot. And it's a great relief to know that it's uh, a typical feeling for us it's not something because we're shit or because we haven't done enough it's a typical trait within ADHD right what are the what are the traits would I mean, not that not that you suggest that people self-diagnose but uh what what are the traits are are common I'm gonna I'm gonna just smash this out because it's it's so cohesive and it's it's a great list and I really stick by it and I and I love it um so I'll read this out and and no it's not about self-diagnosis but if you relate to it maybe there's a reason why you do and it's worth investigating right um if you want that answer of course um a sense of underachievement of not meetings a sense of underachievement of not meeting meeting one's goals regardless of how much one has actually accomplished Difficulty getting organized, chronic procrastination or trouble getting started, many products, many projects going simultaneously, trouble with follow through, tendency to say what comes to mind without necessarily considering the timing or appropriateness of the remark, a frequent search for high stimulation, an intolerance of boredom, easy distractibility, trouble focusing attention, tendency to tune in or drift out in the middle of a page or conversation. Often creative, intuitive, highly intelligent. That one, I think they just threw in there because they were like, we're great. We're going to put that in there. That's just like my tribe, left-handed people. 
Well, you guys are um, a very small tribe, aren't you? Because the mm. majority of people were right-handed in the wars, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic to see that you're still with us. Um, so, trouble going through established channels, following proper procedure, impatient, low tolerance for frustration, impulsive, either verbally or in action, tendency to worry needlessly, endlessly, tendency to scan the horizon for something to worry about. A sense of insecurity, mood swings, restlessness, tendency towards addictive behavior, chronic problems with self-esteem, inaccurate self-observation. That's called metacognition in our world. Um, and a family history of either ADD, manic depressive illnesses or depression or substance abuse or other disorders with impulse control. So that list, I I I, I urge people to look at that list. There's a DSM diagnostic manual, which you can read as well, which has got the full list of the actual, here's what the psych a psychiatrist would actually diagnose you with as well. Yeah. Um, this one is uh, by people with it. Like I said, you know, it's, it's more of a relatable and also easily digestible trait list. It's not something you can diagnose yourself with. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you can't self-diagnose um through uh any official means in order to get medication but you can say i really really hard to this maybe i have it and then start to explore mm -hmm. more ethical okay and um i hope you, you can send me those links later and i can put them in in the uh in the description on the video but um okay. if uh if somebody if somebody listens to that list uh say somebody's listening now and they think, well, that sounds a lot like me. Um, what should they be doing next? So officially, if you have a chronic disturbance of at least 15 from what I listed, that definitely means to progress into exploring a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, what a chronic disturbance means and what a disorder literally means is, is it affecting areas in your life, your social life, family life, work life, right? Um, those areas, if those areas are be being affected by those things on that list, then that could be means for a disorder. The disorder can only be a disorder if it's something which is creating problems within those areas of your life on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, being forgetful doesn't mean you have ADHD. Being talkative doesn't mean you have ADHD. Uh, being impulsive doesn't mean you have ADHD. You can still be a shiny, sparkly person and not have a disorder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are um, one of the things that, um, and again, you know, the same doctor I quoted earlier, he also said, just because you're short doesn't mean you have dwarfism. Just because you're tall doesn't mean you have giantism. Just because you're mm. sad doesn't mean you have depression. You have to think about actually how much does it affect you day to day. Okay. Mm. So if mm. you're looking to explore it further, sorry, I should say, is um, is have a look at the, I'll, I'll send a link to you for a charity that I really, really recommend to, to deep dive into getting a diagnosis in an easy, quick way because right now the, the backlog is, years with the nhs it's like four to seven years to get a diagnosis at the moment really mm. that bad oh very much so yeah we're yeah. very underfunded and understaffed in the nhs aren't we mm. um, or overburdened so, yeah. really uh, i mean yeah definitely definitely and and so there is there are other ways around it so i recommend the charity so i'll send that link so so where, where's where's this take you then what are your what are your plans going forward my plans going forward so uh, right now i am working together with my local community to set up a um come in and sit down and have a chat i haven't named it yet but i've got a venue which i'm going into the bit next week um i put it out there because i just thought crikey you know there's things that i feel and i've got I'm pretty happy. I've got I've got a pretty good network around me and I still get lonely moments and I still get times where I'm like oh, just feeling a little bit sad and I, I feel a little bit low and I, I want to talk about it, but I don't wanna don't wanna feel like I'm a burden. And so I thought, right, if I feel like this, it's probably other people that are feeling this, if not more so. 
So um, I put it out on a notice board and I've had a couple of hundred people interested, actually, which blew my mind. <laughs> what, what, kind, what kind of a notice board was this? Like some sort of supercharged notice board. board. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a Facebook community um, for my local area. So I put right. it out um, and, you know, it's it's one of the top performing posts at this point, which I was like, what have I done? <laughs> Amazing. But it's, it's great because it, it was obviously needed, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So um, I found a venue. Um, I just need to secure it. I'll keep posting about it. So if people want to learn about it and they live in London and they want to come along and have a chat, I'm just going to set it up. Chairs, open forum. We're going to go around, just talk. How are you feeling? What are you doing? What's going on for you? Um, I might use some therapeutic practices throughout it, but it's more of a just sit and have a chat mm-hmm. it'll be okay because you know if you haven't got anybody at home for example or people that you feel like you can talk to um I really want to set it up in a way that everyone feels seen and mm. heard um so that's what I'm doing right now I'm working away as an agent as well I've got lots of big projects where I'm a creative director I'm starting up something um, with a restaurant in Mayfair uh, ongoing work with a couple of different productions as well um working with the Hurlingham club which I'm really 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 proud of that's uh, the, where the royals go and play tennis <laughs> <laughs> so I love that venue they love us as well so we're gonna go back there um what are some other little bits I, I definitely want to expand upon my big 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 goal for helping out people who felt institutionalized so I'd love to do a call out if anybody's got any ideas. Please let me know. Please. There's a guy called Zacher Keltner. Um, he is a great guy to look into. Um, if you want some happiness, right? And if you want a, a beauty moment in your life, this guy talks about going out and just being in awe. So you get off your laptop, you get off your phone, you go outside and just look at something that creates an awe feeling inside of you. And if you do that just for a couple of seconds or a minute a day, it can change how you feel for the rest of the day, which is really nice. Zachary Keltner is him. And on that very hippie sounding note, <laughs> uh, I'm, going, I'm going to thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Um, but before you go, um, where can people find out what you're doing and where you're doing it? And so everything to do with mental health is right in the ADHD, mm-hmm. which is on Instagram and Facebook and everything to do with shows and lots of fun and lifestyle, maria.antonia.stavros and everything to do with my agency and my creative side is at official sensation and on Instagram or sensation entertainment limited on Facebook. <sighs> I think that'll take for now. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about a lot, and I'm sure we'll have to uh, we'll have to do this again. Um, But thanks very much for being on the show. Ted, it's it's honestly been amazing to see you again and talk to you again. So thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. That conversation with Maria Stavro was recorded on the 14th of November 2023. If you've got a comment to make or you were affected by any of the issues that we discussed, please do get in the comments. If you've got more to say and you perhaps want to be on the show, get in touch. You can DM me at Ted James Media. Please remember to like, hit subscribe and also click the little bell so that you're the first to know when a new video comes out. Thank you once again to Maria for being on the show and I'll see you on the next video. Goodbye.